0: my pleasure to welcome you here to The Clark Howard Show. You know, our mission is simple. It's to serve you and empower you so that you make better financial decisions in your life. On today's episode, I want to talk about how to save money on your driving. And later, I have a scary warning about your privacy and what you can do to better protect it. And I have an announcement Joel is going to dump us. Well. And for really great reasons. Joel has been helping us out with our new version of our podcast that we started last month on January 4th. And Joel, for years, has had his own podcast and really needs to devote his time to that. And Joel, your podcast has been around how many years now?
1: Gosh, uh, just over three years now. And you've
0: been adding subscribers like a maniac.
1: <laughs> well, so- yeah, th- we do have an awesome, uh, loyal listener base, but and it's fun to create. It's just kind of crazy to think that after working together for 14 years and all of the good times, all of the awesome uh, trips you've taken me and my wife on, Clark, uh, just all of the joys working as a staff together that it's coming to an end. Um, I just want to thank you and Krista. I mean, you guys hired me when I was 21 and I can't even imagine what that interview was like. When I look back, I'm like, man, what, what did I say in that interview that actually landed me the job? Because... I was pretty stupid, and um, no
2: way. <laughs> You've always been the best, Joel. And you really did wear flip flops that interview. <laughs> I know you. I I swear you did. I Wait, see, did. I
0: think his driver's license photo. I think that could have disqualified you.
1: from <laughs> That's the show. true. I looked like I was twelve, even though I was twenty one. Right? Yeah. So yeah, just the fact that. You know my my young adult life. I've gotten I've been able to work at a job this cool, this fun, this inspiring for this many years. Is just I wish everybody that get graduates from college see that 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 that's their first legit job, and um, just want to. Thank you for all the awesome years that we've been able to have together. Um,
0: what's your podcast called for people who aren't familiar with it?
1: So it's called How to Money, and it's yeah, a show that I create with my best buddy, Matt, and we talk about personal finance. And again, because of 14 years working here, uh, just it's become more than just a job. It's become a passion. It's become something I care about deeply, and your mission to help people with their personal finance is personal finances just resonates with me in such a way because, um, because it's been so powerful and I've seen the effect that it has on Clark Howard listeners. Um, it just made me want to keep going with it in my
2: own little way too. And you're a real estate mogul.
0: You are a real estate mogul and you started, how old were you when you bought your first distressed piece of real estate? 26. And you have built a portfolio since and you have Five doors. Now. Five doors. That's right. Um, and so you've been able, from those, because of how careful and methodical you were about buying your real estate, you can support yourself and your family, because you got three kids, and your wife is now uh, has historically worked outside the home, but now is full time with three kids. You're able to support your your family just from the income you net from your five rental properties.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, that's another thing too that you can't really plan for. You do your best right over the years. And and that's the thing, you know, that that you talk about on the show and is the compounding returns that you investing your money well can bring and I've been fortunate that real estate has been a good investment and it has. It's it's something I enjoy, too, so much. I love architecture, and I love the neighborhoods where I live, and so getting to buy a little piece of those neighborhoods and invest in that way is just is a super fun thing. It's very gratifying.
0: Well, but I also watched you through this process, and just so you know, Joel not just bought properties that fit his formula. He bought places that were really beat up and then with his own bare hands repaired them and renovated them. And I remember when you learned things from watching YouTube videos, how to <laughs> how to do plumbing, how to install toilets, how to uh, do basic, not hopefully dangerous uh, electrical, and all the things you learned to do for yourself because you couldn't afford the markup of having contractors at that stage in your life, and you were doing that work
1: yourself. Yeah, you learn a lot from uh, a lack of having the financial resources and just kind of that spirit, that ability to say, I'm going to give this a go myself because if somebody else can do it, why can't I? And YouTube is like that perfect medium, that perfect... Thing to help connect you from uh, to the skill that you need to get when you don't currently have it. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos over the years, doing little fixes to cars or or to homes, um, and that's been it's been a great resource. Yeah, but that's that's helped. I distinctly remember when my wife and I were dating and her her parents were coming to visit and like I had to put a new vanity in the, in the home that I had just bought and I didn't know what I was doing, but it, like that was a good kick in the pants to get it done that weekend before they came. Um, and, and so, yeah, you learn stuff on the fly. And I think anybody who wants to invest in real estate has to at least be willing to get their hands dirty. You don't have to know how to do it all and you don't have to be um, just incredible with your hands, but you do have to be willing to pick up a paintbrush, willing to at least maybe give it a shot to replace a toilet too.
0: And uh, that plumbing bill after the toilet uh, sent water spewing <laughs> everywhere. No, you actually did it right.
1: I actually did it right. Yes, somehow. Right. And I, I'm, I, You always talk about how not handy you are. And I will say, I'm in that vein with you. I'm, not, I'm truly not handy. I did not grow up like, with a hammer in my hand. Or, or you know, my dad didn't really teach me stuff like that. So it really is like trying to teach yourself stuff that you're not naturally inclined to do. It's not easy, but you got to do it at some point, I guess.
0: Right. So I got to give a shout out to YouTube, by the way, because there have been so many things that I have discovered that I didn't think I could do that I've been able to do just by watching YouTube videos. And then I'll tell somebody, you know, I can believe it. I was able to do blah, blah, blah. And I did it just from watching this YouTube video. And they look at me like, you are so lame. Anybody (laughs) could do that. Well, I couldn't do it. Didn't think I could till I watched the video. So, Joel, another thing about real estate. You have not bought another investment property in how many years now? I think it's been about two and a half, three years. And the reason you haven't bought in the last three
1: years is because? I think the biggest reason is that the the basic numbers just don't work right. as much as they did. Yeah. So right. the potential profitability of a property I'd be looking at is just almost non-existent um, right now in today's market. And I think like it, for people who are still doing it depending on what market you're in um and and depending on you know, the fundamentals you have at play like it it can potentially still work but it's much much harder and I've got a bunch of other things going on so I'm not nearly as dedicated to researching and finding the deals either right now
0: well I you know I looked at the last couple of years and I sold three rental properties that I had because the values had risen to a point That if I was looking at buying them today, I would never buy them as a rental property. And the math just was compelling that it was time for me to sell those three rental properties. And I didn't put the money to work in the stock market instead. And it's the other side of the coin of what you've done where you've chosen not to buy anymore because the economics just are too hard right now to make rental properties work and this goes in cycles and there will be a cycle in the future where the numbers will work again for buying individual properties as rentals but it just doesn't work right now and I'm going to suggest that we make a little bit of pivot with our schedule for today because we've talked with you so much Joel and the privacy thing I'm going to boot and to another time and we'll talk about auto insurance a little later in today's podcast and so i want to go to your questions that you have for me and you're pointing at joel christy (laughs) you pointed the wrong direction but it worked just so you know krista joel and i till i get my second uh coronavirus vaccine i'm working remote from the two of them and then once i am superman with my second vaccination of moderna then we will be together well not you joel since you're dumping us but krista and i will be together and i won't have to deal with these signals that i'm like what's she pointing at
1: joel all right let's get to some questions here clark drew in north carolina says you occasionally speak about 529 plans but you've also talked about coverdell accounts in the past too Can you talk about where one shines over the other? And given that I have a newborn and we've got our retirement savings taken care of, which one do you think we should set our sights towards?
0: The Coverdell has not uh, been modified over the years to have a lot of the flexibility of the 529 account. So if you're going to put meaningful amounts of money in a college savings plan, just go with a 529 plan. And I wish that the Congress had paralleled the contribution privileges with a Coverdell along with the 529 account. The Coverdell is named after a late U.S. senator named Paul Coverdell who was really interested in helping families put together money for college instead of having to react and borrow so much money for college It was really the inspiration for 529 accounts That have become a more relevant choice in particular because the management fees on 529 accounts have gotten better and better and better in a lot of the plans, and there's more flexibility about uh, what you can contribute and what the money can be used for in 529s versus what they used to be. So I would, starting today with a young one, I would just do a 529 plan, but no, they are not all created equal, there are still, unfortunately, a lot of uh, terrible 529 plans out there. And then there are others that just get better and better. If you go look at my 529 plan guide at Clark.com, I have gone through the plan documents for every plan offered in the country that you can buy commission-free. And I've ranked them uh, from uh, the very, very best to the next of the best To those that are still good and look through those plans and i walk you through how to pick a plan based on where you live and then what the money should go into in that plan on my guide at clark.com
2: krista anthony in florida says get your bleep button ready because i'm about to say a bad word My 73-year-old mom has an inherited IRA annuity that she's had for about 10 years. Today, I discovered that she's invested in high-risk mutual funds that she has no business being in at 73. Two of her funds lost money last year. One fund only had a minimal percentage increase, and her saving grace was a technology fund that had a 36% return in 2020. It is criminal that these companies keep elderly clients in such high-risk funds, I'm now working with my mom to put her in safer funds that will preserve the cash she will need in the coming years. Please encourage your listeners to check on their parents or older individuals who may not know or really understand where they're invested.
0: Thank you for that. And the, uh, the temptations are too great for people that are not fiduciaries, people who don't uh, meet the legal standard of having to put your interests first. To put people, even inside an IRA, which is already a tax deferred vehicle, into atrocious gross annuities that are all about making money for that salesperson or that stockbroker rather than, or insurance salesperson instead of for you, who the money is intended to provide financial and retirement security for. And it Is an area where I hope the laws will be strengthened on elder fraud, elder financial abuse. And in addition, I'm hopeful, ever hopeful, that the feds will issue rules that will require that anybody giving uh, advice for investing must, by law, be a fiduciary, which will eliminate the foolishness of this annuity garbage that has ended up in so many people's investment accounts and retirement accounts. Joel? All
1: right, Clark. AJ in Kentucky says, I understand that Clark doesn't like to use debit cards because credit cards offer more consumer protections. I have two HSA accounts, which you like. However, both of them automatically issue debit cards to use for healthcare expenses, whether in person or online. So what do you think about using a debit card through your HSA account?
0: That is A-OK. The kind of transactions you're doing for a medical reimbursement for an HSA are not controversial transactions. They're not the kinds that you're going to have to worry about typically disputes with a merchant or failure to deliver goods or services. So I'm not worried about that as a method of payment. And that the great news is that you have an HSA, which is the best tax-advantaged account we're offered as taxpayers in the United States. And coming ahead on today's podcast, we're going to talk about auto insurance in the midst of a pandemic what kind of moves should you be looking to make to protect your wallet early in the pandemic we took a lot of questions from people about auto insurance a lot of people's cars were just parked and they were still paying for auto insurance and there was a big push in the industry to give people back money they had paid in premiums or reduce their premiums. And so I remember very early back last spring talking on the Clark Howard show about how uh, various insurers were giving people back a percent of their premiums or so many dollars or whatever. And the insurers were really uh, put in a big spotlight and did that. And then once the focus turned away from them, well, they stopped doing that and just kept charging the high premiums that you'd been paying. And I've been noodling that over the months, and I've been thinking about how much I like the models where you pay based on how much you drive. And for years, Metromile has been around as a very small player, still only available in like a half dozen or so states. And with Metro Mile, you pay per mile for coverage. Now, they do factor in your driving history. So if you're somebody who's a crazed maniac behind the wheel, that affects what you pay. But I've loved that. And I saw an item in the New York Times about something I didn't even know existed. But the big auto insurer nationwide has a Metro Mile lookalike called Smart Miles that they offer in 40 of the nation's 50 states. So what they're doing with Smart Miles is you pay a base rate based on your driving history. And so if you're a crazy one behind the wheels, you're going to pay more for that base rate. And then after that, you pay per mile. And I really, really like this because auto, I go through this dance with my auto insurer where they say, well, how many miles are you driving on this car this year? And how many do you think you drive on that one? Blah, 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 blah. And it's just this charade. Why not? I mean, it's obvious that the more you drive, the greater the risk. The less you drive, the less risk and charge accordingly. Now the next thing is what has been controversial since Progressive first came out with it a generation ago, and now available from many insurers. It's where you pay based on many factors. Um, How many miles you drive, when you drive them, what routes you drive, how you drive. You know, you're a frequent lane changer, brake really hard, Um, you know jackrabbit start all that then your rates are going to be higher you drive like um, the proverbial little old lady then you're going to pay less and that's behavioral it's a combination of both the amount you're driving and behavior behind the wheels all of this I prefer even with the invasion of privacy to the ham-handed way that rates are set today. I don't like the way the auto insurance industry has stayed stuck in a distant past that today the information that's available is so extreme. And, extreme. and I think about how more and more automakers are going into the auto insurance business because now they're selling vehicles that are always on you know the Ford um, electric Mustang the E whatever they call the new Ford Mustang that is going to be a hot seller it's always connected to Ford's computer network and they know where you are how you're driving everything and so it's a natural outgrowth of the automation in vehicles and the information there is that rates will be able to be precision set to the risk that you actually represent. And that's where I think things should be going. And I know uh, we were going to talk about privacy, uh, something else with privacy, we're going to talk about another day. But this is a privacy issue as well. Is this stuff that I'm so excited about does remove some of your basic privacy? but I think the trade-off of much more accurate pricing means that a lot of the discriminatory practices that have been historic in the automotive insurance industry will be swept aside. You know, as I've shared with you in the past, auto insurers, a dirty little secret of the business, is that auto insurers charge much higher rates to people in lower income zip codes than they do in higher income zip codes. They charge, um, uh, this is something that's just abysmal, but insurers charge higher rates to someone with a perfect driving record with a low credit score than they do to somebody with a DUI or DWI who has a high credit score. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. And going to true performance-based pricing is a way to eliminate the the prejudice that has infested the auto insurance industry for generations. It's time for your questions you posted
2: for me at clark.com slash ask. And Krista? Joe in Florida says, I'm looking to book a transatlantic cruise in April of 2022. I know Clark has a background in the travel industry, and I'm wondering when is the best time to book it. Does the cruise industry have sales surrounding holidays, etc.? Is it too early? Thanks, and I love the podcast.
0: All bets are off in patterns for booking leisure travel. There are people who, when they feel like it's safe to book stuff, are going to book like maniacs, and the prices for discretionary travel are going to skyrocket. If you are confident and comfortable that you're going to be able to take that trip, in the spring of 22 I think now is when you should be looking and don't focus on a single sailing from a single cruise line there are going to be more distortions than normal in pricing from one cruise operator to another one sailing to another even on the same ship you're going to see more distortions and prices from week to week of sailing than would be normal um if you are booking cruises, though, the cruise industry has suffered financially more than any other aspect of the travel industry because they've been shut down cold, losing massive amounts of money every month. Um, 80% of cruise berths are controlled by three companies, Carnival, Royal, and NCL, uh, not just under those brand names, but they own a bunch of cruise lines under their corporate umbrellas that any cruise you book, paying deposits on and all the rest, pay only by credit card, real credit card, never by check, never by debit card, because if the cruise line ceases to exist, you're going to need the protection of having paid by credit card. In addition, you want to buy trip insurance that includes supplier default. If one of the cruise lines uh, fails, You want to know that you're backed by insurance and you don't buy it from the cruise line. You buy it independently. Make sure any policy you're looking at includes what's known as supplier
1: default. Joel? Clark, Joe in Maryland says, does making your mortgage payment early have any benefit as to how fast it's paid off? I usually pay a week or two before the due date. And does this affect the daily interest or the principal in any way?
0: Not at all, unfortunately. In the United States, unique as I know of all countries in the world, mortgages are not calculated based on daily interest like a credit card would be. They're calculated on a monthly formula. So the important thing is that the mortgage payments be made on time, but you get no benefit by paying a week early or 10 days early or anything like that You still will owe the same amount of money. If you ever noticed with a mortgage, you are on time paid on the 1st, you are late after typically the 5th, but you don't suffer a penalty till the 15th in a typical mortgage. They just work old school in a way that really predates modern computing technology, and it's traditional that mortgages are calculated the way they are in the United States. Krista?
2: Okay, Clark. Greg in North Carolina says, I have a joint big bank checking account with my ex-wife with a $179 balance. She's aware of the account and has no interest in the money. I've maintained this account, which has had to be reactivated several times through the years due to inactivity because I have a credit card with this bank with a credit limit of $50,000. For some reason they have not charged me the $15 a month fee for not meeting some of their minimum requirements. They state that in the, in the in the account the bank has waived the fee for this fee period. Should I just continue on as is to maintain the credit even though I don't use the card? I have two other credit cards. I and I use I have two other credit cards I use instead with banks that have been better for me to work with.
0: So I think get another credit card from another issuer so that you are replacing a lot of that available credit that you have on that card. Close the savings account. Close the credit card. And it seems like you're on good terms with your ex. Just send half of that savings account money to your ex and say, here it is, and close those accounts. And you may need your ex's help to close that joint account But I think it would be good to get that closed and close that chapter of your financial life. And I want to tell you that I appreciate you subscribing to our podcast. I hope that you're enjoying it. If you are, please share it with your friends. But on the other hand, if you are feeling like there's something I'm not delivering on, please give me that feedback at clark.com slash clarkstinks. I want you to know we are all members of Team Clark, we all learn together, and I want you to know that we are here to serve you around the clock
1: at clark.com and clarkdeals.com.